everybody. Welcome to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin. And I'm Clayton. And I'm your roommate, Salvo Veteran. And I'm the Virgin. And we're your hosts. But yeah, so let's just jump right into it. So this week we read The Right Swipe by Alicia Rye, um, which it wasn't a recommendation, but I have been a huge Alicia Rye fan for um, a while. She has a series called The Forbidden Heart Series that I think it's like truly one of the best and sexiest contemporary series in the world like in the world (laughs) like I love it so much it's about this family in upstate New York um and their rivals it's three book series the last book of that series is Gabe's book so Rhiannon's brother um and so when this book came out I have had my eye on it and been wanting to read it but you know with our insane reading schedule as it is sometimes there's books that I really like sort of see in the distance and I can't reach for so then you know when we were putting together the books for this month I was like I'm just gonna put the right swipe on there because I really want to read it so this is um so thank you everyone for indulging me on this one I appreciate it yeah There you go. That's all you got to say. Um, So let's go ahead. Let's judge the cover. So I don't love this cover. No. And I'll tell you why. Because I can't just say I don't like this cover and move on because that's not what we do on this podcast. (laughs) We have to explain our answers. It it's very it's very much the epitome of a cartoon cover which it has the same style as most of these cartoon covers. So they they can tend to get samey. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that bothers me about this is not it's all on me and not really the intention of the person who did this drawing. There's something annoying to me about two people looking at their phones. Mm-hmm. Which is what they're doing. There's two circles and Rhiannon is on the in the top right, and Samson is in the bottom left, and in between it says the white the 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 right swipe. And part of the and right is like bold, and then the swipe is kind of cursive e. But they're both looking at their phones, and to me, looking at phones is a disconnection. Mm-hmm. And it feels like they, and I know they're like on an app together, you know, they're, they're, they're swiping right on each other. But for me, it just looks like they're bored and looking at their phones. That's what it feels like to me. And that's why I'm not a big fan of the cover. I hear you. I mean, I think, you know, for not being a fan of cartoon covers, I did like I do actually really like this one. I think it gives a actually a good representation of who Rhiannon and Samson are, because um, I think that's the thing that's frustrating sometimes about romance covers is either they're models and they look nothing like what's described in the books, or they're cartooned and they like barely look like humans. And I think here it's like I do have a sense of like how each of them look. Um, and those expressions on their faces, I think, are interesting because, um, like, Samson is, like, smirking a little bit as he's looking at her phone and Rhiannon looks a little smug. And I think it's, like, it tells a little story. And I think just the way that they're placed, it does look like they are talking to each other. But I understand. You're a bit of a Luddite. You don't love um, 
the sort of like that technology or or sort of people's obsession with technology. But also I feel like this is kind of what the book is about. She owns a um like a dating app, so it makes sense that sort of technology would be referenced on the cover. Yeah. Like Maybe. I'm I'm I I just get annoyed by it sounds and this sounds so basic and so annoying to be annoyed by this. But there is just something really annoying about people constantly being on their phones, especially like if you're hanging out together yeah. and stuff. And last night I was watching football, NFL football, which ties into this book because Samson is an ex-football player. And they did they had the little halftime show and you have the, the three people. They were like six feet apart at this huge table and they were you know looking at their they have uh not ipads but what's the the knockoff one that windows has that you like put up tablets a tablet or whatever it's it's something they had those but the one guy had his phone out and he was like doing that thing that people do where they like have the phone on the table and they like hit it to see if they have any calls and then they like they turn away from it because they see that they don't and i was like you're on national television <laughs> asshole like yeah. unless i could see maybe he, there is some situation at home he had to monitor if that's the case then i'm sorry otherwise put your fucking phone away while you're on national television because it makes you look like a distracted child it like made me angry I almost shot off a a, a letter. <laughs> um, not a tweet, never, but a letter. No, no, because that's playing their game. Mm-hmm. If you tweet, I, then he's yeah. just going to be checking his tweets during the broadcast. <laughs> you should at him and be like, "Look at me now, asshole." <laughs> I don't even know what his name is. Um, that's insanely frustrating. Well, because I think people always use the excuse of like, if there's an emergency, but it's like. If you have like a sick kid at home, one, and you can't be home with them for whatever reason, like then just give your phone to an assistant and just be like, if I need to go home, you need to just like run on set and get me. Because also it's not like they're on set. Like it's not like this is the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade where they're going to be on air for 12 hours or something insane. Like I'm sure the halftime show was like 20 minutes to a half hour where it's like. If you can't be from Not away even. from your phone for for that long, then it's like then you shouldn't be on TV. Then you need to be at then you need to be wherever you need to be. You yeah, know? he's got a, he's probably got an earpiece. Just have somebody mm-hmm. say into his earpiece, like have a producer be like, "Hey, you know, your wife's in labor or something." In the book, Re- Rhiannon like shuts off her phone for twenty four hours, and I was like, "Ah, oh, that would be a dream." I was thinking. You know, but you can just... do. You could do it. That's the thing is, you could do it. Everybody could do it. I know. I need to do it. I mean, the thing is, is like, there was one time where I had my phone on silent because I had been at work all day, and I went to a friend's house, and it was in my purse, and I just didn't look at it for like four hours because you know we had dinner, and then we were sitting and talking, and I just like didn't look at my phone, and then my friend who I was with got like a frantic call from someone asking if I was with her because a family member got was in the hospital and got really sick and so for some reason after that moment I have a fear of like I'm gonna like someone's gonna be hurt and I'm gonna miss it which is like you know not unfounded it's not impossible but it's like unlikely 
Um, and especially if I am still around other people with phones, like people would be able to get to me. But yeah, yeah. maybe I'll do it. I'll just start shutting off my phone for 24 hours. Do it. Shoot everybody a text ahead of time. Just be like, call Pat if you need me. If you don't have yeah. Pat's number, you don't need me. <laughs> exactly. That's the big thing. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, end of old man rant, because that, that's the only thing more annoying than cell phones is an old man ranting about cell phones. Just know anyone who felt like that went on too long. It went on so much longer. <laughs> um, yes, he thought that was bad. <laughs> uh, all right. But let's we're not here to yell about cell phones. We are here to talk about The Right Swipe by Alicia Rye. And Clayton, what was this book about? So this book is about Rhiannon, who is a tech whiz who owns a company called Crush, which is the feminist response to a app called Swipe which in, in is Tinder, basically. Yeah. Swipe is Tinder, and then Crush is her answer to it. It's like Bumble, I think. It's like, it's got, does Bumble have the swiping? Yeah. Okay, so I've never been on Bumble. She owns this company. She wants to acquire an old company called Matchmaker, which is kind of like eHarmony. It's an old school type of... You know, you take a hundred, you answer a hundred questions on a questionnaire. It's not, it's not really a swipe situation. And it was created by, well, it's owned by Annabelle, who is Samson, our hero's aunt, sort of. She was never married to the uncle, but he looks at her as his aunt. And Samson is a retired, he, uh, he's a retired football player who walked off the field halfway through a game because his friend that was on the team got a concussion. The team wanted him to go back in and play, and Samson walked off in protest. Now, his father became violent because of CTE, which is a brain injury that a lot of football players have. And his uncle just recently passed away, and he got the test results halfway through this book that said he had a CTE as well, which they all kind of knew. Mm-hmm. Now, the plot thickens because Rhiannon had used her own app to swipe to meet somebody because she is doesn't trust people enough to have a relationship, but she still wants to fuck, which mm-hmm. is every person's right. <laughs> she meets Samson on this on this app, but it's under an assumed name. And they have one awesome night. She thinks it could be more, even though, and he's and he kind of alludes to the fact that he wants it to be more, and alludes to the fact that he's going to contact her again. But then his uncle gets really sick. He gets caught up in that, and he ghosts her. Before he can say anything to her, she deletes the app, and he doesn't have. He tries to Google her, but it's under a fake name, and he can't find her. So they're reunited at a... It was like a tech conference. A tech conference. Yeah, it's a tech conference. And they end up on stage together being interviewed. And because he becomes a new spokesman for Matchmaker. And Mm -hmm. she's mad. And he is like, well, he explains what happened. She still doesn't completely trust him. They end up working together. 
and they end up falling in love. Although it's not really... I don't look at it as a happily ever after. I think it's a happy for now, at least. Mm -hmm. The way it's written is that they're gonna try something. Yeah. It's not 100% that they're gonna succeed. But then there's a whole thing with Peter, who she used to date, who was the CEO, president or CEO of, of Swipe, and he gaslit her after she broke up with him and slandered her and made it very hard for her to start her company. And he also wants to buy Matchmaker. So they end up at Annabelle's, like a getaway with Annabelle, trying to buy Matchmaker. And mm-hmm. that creates uh, an issue as well. There's a lot. There's it's a lot of plot in this book. Yeah, there is a lot of plot in this book. And I think um, I was a little surprised because, like I mentioned before, like I'm a big fan of her Forbidden Heart series, which is the series before this that was like super sexy and super just about the couple. And this did seem to be a lot about sort of Rhiannon's struggles and Samson's struggles. And every once in a while they would intersect. But it didn't feel like the main couple was the main story. You know what I mean? It felt like it was, you know, it was a lot about Annabelle sort of overcoming issues that she had, like some PTSD from a bad job and um, or bad person. And uh, Samson sort of coming to grips with um, CTE and having lost his father and his uncle to it and sort of how to move forward after retirement and all those things. And I found them both to be interesting stories and I liked it and I liked when they were together, but it it never had that like spark of like, oh, I need these two to get together, you know? Yes. That was my thought completely is that this is an issues forward type romance, which I think we encountered also with Longshot. I feel like Longshot was similar for me in that there was a lot of issues going on and the romance, the central relationship was just kind of happening in the background. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what this felt like too, which I understand. I understand that romance wants to tackle more serious issues and I think that's great I just don't know if it's my preferred type of romance right and especially because the cartoon cover on a book like this really does throw you off because this is not a light fun read in a way I mean it is the thing is she's a really great author Mm -hmm. she's a really good writer and that is the strength of this book is that it's extremely well written and she's extremely good at what she does. And that's why I still enjoyed it, but I did not love it and I did not get the satisfaction that I normally get from a romance. Right. And it's the sort of thing where it's like at the end of the book, when they finally come together, it's like, I'm happy that they did, but it's not the sort of like, I felt like either of them had they not gotten together they both would be fine you know what I mean like I think ultimately they are happier together but I don't it didn't seem like an imperative where in other books it's like no if these people want any shot of happiness they have to be together um 
but this but that I, might be a little bit more realistic. I mean, that's more of a realistic right. thing True. because sometimes you have relationships in life that the only reason they exist is to get you forward and help move past something so that you can mm-hmm. then find maybe somebody who works at that moment and then so on and so on. But that's not why a lot of people read romance because right. we want realism to an extent, but not to the extent where it's like, wait, this could not work out and they're not soulmates and they're not meant for each other. Right. Well, I feel like with long shot, I obviously loved that book more than you did. And I agree that it was like, there was a lot happening where they weren't together and stuff. And, but at the end, I did feel like these people are, like, destined to be together. Like, they are perfect for each other. Like, their lives will be less if they're not with the other person. Um, And for some reason, I didn't feel that way. And I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about Rhiannon being um, independent. And I think for her, as a protection method, it's like she doesn't want to feel like she's relying on anyone that's sort of the journey of the book that she needs to sort of let people in. So I think it makes sense that she wouldn't be like gushing and falling all over for herself or somebody. You know what I mean? Like I think character wise that would have been very like jarring. But um, I don't know. I think I wanted more of them. And I think it's like, you know, Rhiannon dealing with sexual harassment on the job and sort of the ramifications of that. And Samson dealing with CTE. I think those are just two really, really big issues that sort of take over the story. Because it's hard to, if you're going to bring those into your book, you obviously have to be respectful. And you can't just throw it in there as a plot device, which is like, it's not what she does at all. Um, But then that just takes up a lot of time. It takes up a lot of oxygen in the room. And then I think there's not as much time for like just a pure romance like butterflies in your tummy sort of a situation because there's so much heaviness happening what i will say is that they still i i do feel like the characters felt like actual people mm-hmm. which was important because in you know and this is a, a book that we both admittedly in our review did not like so i can talk about it fight or flight okay. they had things happen to them and issues but they weren't fully formed people. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the big failing of that book, where in this book, you do get two fully formed people. You know, they're well drawn, but you don't really get as invested in their romance, which I think is, yeah, like what, what we're saying is that that was really the, the issue for me is that I wanted a romance and I got a dr- dramatic book. I guess I got, I mean, I don't even know what you would call it. I guess just a book, <laughs> like just a <laughs> fiction book, uh, which was, you know, uh, it's not something I would read normally if it wasn't a romance. Right. Because I've read about CTE and I know about CTE, but I, I you know, I've read, I've read nonfiction books about CTE. So I didn't really need a, a fiction book that was about that. I'm Zoe. And I'm Kelsey. And we're the hosts of Tea and Strumpets, a Regency romance review. 
Join us each week as we take a trip across the pond and into the past in search of swoon-worthy happily ever afters. We talk about all your Regency favorites like Julia Quinn's Bridgertons or Lisa Kleypas's Ravenels. Plus, we dive deep into exciting new releases from rising stars like Scarlett Peckham, Cat Sebastian, or Evie Dunmore. We've got book reviews and fabulous interviews with best-selling authors in the genre like Kerrigan Byrne and Maya Rodale. So check us out on your podcatcher of choice or learn more about us at romancepod.com. See you on Thursdays and may all your ever afters end happily. Well, you mentioned before the cover, and I agree where this book has much heavier issues than the cartoon cover would sort of lead you to believe. But I think this is why, you know, in the discussion of cartoon covers, why it was important or, you know, why they're utilized, because ultimately it's like Rhiannon is a dark skinned black woman um, and Samson is a giant Samoan man. And I understand that that might be, you know, those sort of stock photos might kind of not exist. Um, And therefore you need to sort of find an alternate way of representing them and so that's where cartoon covers come in um so that makes sense to me and it but it's also sort of I think showing the strengths of cartoon covers but also sort of the weaknesses as well sort of in the same breath because yeah this is a bit more of a serious book than picking up like a bright pink book called the right swipe would like lead me to believe um but uh and but also I think you know there's a history of sports romances, obviously, within romance and football players. And I think, you know, CTE and the physicality of, of particularly football is something that is hasn't traditionally really been discussed. So it's sort of this thing that exists, obviously, in the world that we're living in, but we're, we're only sort of now seeing it reflected. So I do think, you know, having one of your main characters be a football player and not necessarily you know, have CTE himself or note people with CTE, but it, it seems odd that that wouldn't come up because it's such a huge part of the sport now, you know? And I think the thing that romance does really, really well is reflect society back to us. And I think, you know, the more that football romances don't acknowledge CTE, it it feels inauthentic at a certain stage, you know? Yeah. I, I I still don't don't love the cover, but I respect it. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> mean, I get it. And I think for a long time we were really railing against cartoon covers. And then I think there was like that Twitter conversation about them uh, that really opened my eyes. And so now when I see them, I'm I'm a bit more forgiving. Something else that I liked, really liked about this book is I think it is so important to when to start a book is really hard anything like screenplay books knowing the point of which to start I think is hard and I think it shows a lot of skill when the author is able to pull that off and know okay this is when the story begins and I think that a a lesser author would maybe have started the story with her at the beach house like stalking Annabelle Swiping on Samson, we would have had the whole sexual encounter with Samson. We would have had her be like, oh, he's ghosting me, unmatching with him. 
You know what I mean? Like, I think a different author would have started so early. And I really liked sort of once I realized, like, oh, we're not going to get them meeting. Um, We sort of learn how that went based on each of them talking about when they met. But we don't see the scene itself. Uh, And instead, it starts at the... um, create the the tech conference with Rianne and realizing she has to go on stage with somebody she just had a one night stand with and I thought that was such so much more interesting because like that is kind of when the story starts that is um the difference I think we talk about or it's spoken about in writing like why today like why is the story starting today what is different about today than any other day And that's sort of what it is. And that's when the story starts. And I felt like, you know, obviously she's a phenomenal writer. She can write very sexy. But in this book, I mean, when they are together, it's sexy. But I wouldn't call this a particularly steamy book. You said you like that. But what is your take on that trope of the hero and the heroine having already had sex before we meet them? I think it's with like any. It's not a trope that I like go out looking for, but it's like. Listen, it's one I enjoy. That's the the trope of the pilot of Grey's Anatomy. Like, it's fantastic. It's great. You sleep with somebody, you think you never see them again, and then, oops, you're going to see them all the time. I thought it was done well in this book. I'm not a huge fan of it, to be honest with you. I like the meeting. That's part of what I like. I like to mm-hmm. see how people meet. So that, I think, what I didn't love as much. Mm-hmm. Like you said, there's a strength to starting it that way for this, because he is not... He's not the reason why she has issues. Mm-hmm. That's Peter, her ex, her ex boss at Swipe. He's the reason, and and Samson just gets caught up in it. So it's I like that where it's not this one night stand wrecked her, because she's stronger than that. She's not. I mean, she was annoyed that he did it and bummed because she really liked him, but it wasn't the end of the world for her. So that I think was great that we didn't have to have Samson come from being like the reason why she's traumatized, you know? Right. And certainly not. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was good because we've, we've read romances where it's like, you know, some of these guys have to come back from traumatizing the heroines and it's just like, this is just not going to happen. I'm just never going to like this person. Yeah. True. Never sweeter. When yeah. he oh, tries geez. to murder her. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Come on. Uh, Samson and then is... tries to drown her later as a prank. Oh, to teach. Oh, that book. I'm sorry. I know a lot of people love it and I respect <laughs> a difference of opinion, but woof, it was too much yeah. for me. It was a um, rough one. Yeah, but Samson's also like probably the nicest guy in history. <laughs> like he does seem incredibly sweet and loving and also you know the reason he ghosted i think is a good one you know what i mean it's like he a family member was dying like that's a reason to forget to text someone back that is well acceptable can we mention that you as the co-host of a previous podcast called ghosted stories Mm -hmm. do we want to mention this you had a lot of experience hearing people's ghosted stories either being Mm -hmm. ghosted or ghosting people Mm -hmm. did you ever have a situation like that where somebody ghosted somebody because of a serious reason 
No, I know, which is so such a bummer to hear. Yeah, and over 100 episodes. So I hosted a, a dating podcast with one of my best friends, uh, Chelsea White, um, who is now an EP on the Drew Barrymore show. So everyone watched Drew Barrymore show. <laughs> Um, oh, fun. Congratulations. That just premiered uh, yesterday. A couple days ago. Yeah. Yeah. She's loving it. She says Drew is amazing. The show's really fun. Um, they're going to do some super fun segments and stuff. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so she went on to, you know, so now she's working with Drew Barrymore and I'm working with you. <laughs> so oh, we both moved on to Bigger and Better. Dare no, you. Um, I've been in the business just as long as Drew Barrymore. <laughs> I was at that dance club with her drinking alcohol as a three-year-old. Club 54? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Studio, Studio 54. 54. Jesus Christ. Yeah, we were at Club 54. It was not as popular. Yeah. It was It was down the block. It was by the docks. Yeah. Anyway, so we talk to a different guest every week about sort of horrible dating stories. A lot of them were ghostings. And people were ghosted. Like, one girl was ghosted – um, and she had been living with the guy for like over a year and she just came home one day and he was gone. Um, that's nuts. Was he a spy? Was, no, he was a sociopath. He like was stealing money and she like found his car and the back of the car had like the trunk had a ton of like used condoms in it. It was disgusting. <laughs> like he'd been oh. cheating on her a lot. Oh, it was awful. It was in Pennsylvania. What? Maybe you know him. Why the she trunk? Never- the... Oh, the old yeah, I, condom in the trunk trick. I know that. That's what I couldn't so, get over to. I'm like, you don't go to like the donkeys drive through and just like throw your garbage. At, like, I don't. He was keeping them for something. I don't know. He was a sicko. Um, oh, he was keeping them for something. <laughs> I don't know. It was truly disgusting. Uh, it, but no, I mean, most of the time people just ghosted. And it was funny because we would talk to people who had done the ghosting and people who were ghosted. And pretty much everyone who had done the ghosting, when we were like, why did you just stop talking to this person? And pretty much everybody was just like, I didn't know what to say. There was nothing wrong with them. But I didn't want to see them anymore for whatever reason. And I kind of didn't say anything. And then I just kept not saying anything. And then that's kind of what happened. So, you know, so now I, you know, if I have friends that that happens to, I'm like, it's rarely that you did or said anything. Like most of the time it is like they started dating someone else or um, what or they just didn't feel a spark. And I mean, the thing is, ultimately, don't ghost people because it really messes with their minds. And just text them and say, you know, I had a great time, but I don't necessarily see this going forward. Or what Chelsea always said was, you know, something I, you know, there's sort of something brewing with an ex that I kind of need to feel like I need to explore. But, you know, I had a great time with you. That was her favorite thing. Uh, Yeah, that was her favorite lie because her thing was like, then the doors open. So then if in six months things change and you do want to see this person again, then you can be like, oh, hey, it didn't end up working out with that person. But because I was upfront and honest, that's still but so you're leaving a door. But that's I feel like that's kind of disingenuous to leave a door open for somebody that you have no I mean I guess it's like you're just that's keeping your options open is what that is well it's not leaving a door open because you're not telling the person like hey in six months let's check back you're saying like hey I think I'm kind of getting starting a relationship with somebody else and hopefully I'm gonna suck this relationship dry and then come to you and see (laughs) what I can suck from you right 
I mean, I think in dating, like white lies are okay. I think to I think, help people's feelings because it's so emotionally wrought and it's so stressful that it's like if you can white lie somebody and they will never know, then white lie. I've said this many times. Lies are the lubricant of society. Mm-hmm. Society does not exist without lies. I think mm-hmm. technology is trying to obliterate lies in making it harder for people to lie. But people will just lie and then our brains become less logical. Has there ever been a case where you haven't received a text in the sense that somebody texted you and you didn't get it? No, that doesn't happen. We all know that doesn't happen. But people say all the time, I didn't get your text. And that is now something important information too. This is something we all have to agree in our brains that, oh, sometimes texts don't go through. And they very, I mean, maybe 0.0001% of texts don't ever go through. Don't ever either show up late or something like that. And also in those situations, like you see that it didn't go through. Like if I try to send a text and it doesn't work, I get that little like red dot. Yes. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I know they didn't receive that one. It didn't send. But it's. They don't ever get lost in the ether. They're never just lost. And but we now have to make that mental leap and make ourselves dumber by protecting ourselves by saying, oh, well, yeah, they they just didn't get our text. Mm -hmm. And it's unfair because it's just making us dumber. Because I think ghosting is a, like technology enables ghosting. Because otherwise, if it's somebody that you met in real life and it's in a situation where you might be around them again, you can't just disappear because you have to be present in reality. But if it's done virtually, you can do whatever you want. And I think that's what we're experiencing now with 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 our obsession with communication through technology is that it's making us less human. And some people would be like, oh, we're just evolving. But it's if you're evolving into a state where you have to it when you have to become dumber, I don't think that that's positive and less socially adept. I think my thing also with like online dating to sort of bring it back to the book is sort of what I saw through like two or three years that we did ghosted stories was how callous people are with others emotions where it's like, you know, traditionally when you dated somebody, you dated somebody because you knew them through someone or you went to the same place or you worked together or, you know, sort of any way that you would meet someone in real life. But there was somebody who was a little bit holding you responsible for your um, actions. So if, a friend introduced you to to a woman you were dating, if you then treated her like shit, your friend would be like, what the hell, man? But I think what happened with online dating is, one, it's this illusion of this endless choice, that there will always be somebody else out there for you, possibly better. And so you can treat the person in front of you a little bit worse because you're like, well, I have if I do treat you like shit, there isn't really a social consequence for me. And that's like upsetting because human beings are human beings. We should treat everybody with respect. But then also there isn't that societal pressure to then have to act a certain way in order to continue to participate in society where it's like you can everyone can think you're a good person. But then if you just like ghost women after dating them a few times, 
then no one's really going to know. And I think it's, um, I think that's more what's happening. And people are, are thinking that there's, uh, you know, if I don't like, if there's some little thing about this person I don't like, then I just don't have a relationship with them because I'll find someone else who will be perfect. And I think the idea that there is a perfect person is a myth. I No one is perfect. Um, and I think people are more or less perfect for each other. But even then, there's going to be issues. And I think, you know, sort of a few friends of mine who are still single and who have been single for a while, it seems to be that is the common issue is that they are like waiting for someone to check every single box. And, you know, boxes like people being kind, that's important. P- having the same values, obviously that's important. But being no over collection six- of condoms in a trunk. No, yeah, clean trunk, important. Um, but then being over six two is not important or other silly things where I'm like, does that really matter at the end of the day? Um, anyway, so that's my rant on online dating. I do think it's a positive and a negative sort of with everything with technology. I have to admit though, because I was on your podcast a three few times, times three yeah. times, forced my way onto the podcast three times. <laughs> and I did ghost somebody. Mm-hmm. I was on there because I ghosted somebody and it was somebody I'd worked with, and we went on some dates, we hung out, and then I met somebody else, and I ghosted this young lady, and she ended up hearing the episode where I talked about her, remember? And she wrote a letter. Yeah. And she said that she was glad to hear my side. She was, you know, she still felt like I was... a. She didn't say a jerk, but she still felt like it was a cowardly thing, which I admitted to. I went on and I admitted that it was cowardly. You know, when I said I did it, I said, yeah, it was very cowardly of me. And she said the thing that hurt her the most is that she thought we were friends. Mm -hmm. Because that was the thing is that we did have we did have an outside of social media relationship. We had not met online. We had had interactions before we got involved and that was the reason why she said that's why it hurt if it was just somebody random it wouldn't have mattered but she thought that I was friends and that I would have respected that friendship more yeah and that was and that's and that's very true and I you know to this day feel bad I mean she doesn't care I'm sure anymore which is fine (laughs) but it did you know I shouldn't have done it in the first place, but it definitely taught me like, yeah, your actions have repercussions. You can't be callous when it comes to people's emotions. Even if she wasn't like, he wasn't the guy for me, we weren't going to end up getting married, but you can't take somebody's friendship and cast it aside like that. I should have respected the fact that we had a previous relationship as buddies and I should have said, hey, listen, here's what happened. Sorry. You know, and she would have been fine with it, but it's it it is right. like cowardly to ghost. To a hundred percent, unless you're Samson, and like the thing that's great about Samson is that he comes out and he says it. He says, you know, this is what happened, and he's fine with her if she's not going to forgive him. She he says like, hey, listen, I'm attracted to you, and we're going to work together, and. You know, if something happens, it happens, but it's going to be at your pace. It's, you know, I'm not pressuring you in any way, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, Samson is, like, I, like it's pretty perfect. I thought it was great. And also, it's like, 
very clearly to us, the reader, I think you know that there's something bigger happening with Rhiannon. You don't learn sort of the source of her um, issues until later in the book, which I think is fine. But Samson never pushes her to be like, well, why do you... um, uh, you know, why do you act this way? Why are you so reluctant to get in a relationship? All these things. Like, he really does let her set the pace in all things. I think, obviously, there's a part of him that probably knows that there's a bigger reason for it and that he'll find out when it's appropriate for him to find out. But I think that's – I really appreciate that as well. And I think it was also a very accurate representation of someone who's been a victim of, of sexual harassment, where I think it doesn't always manifest directly into – sex with either being promiscuous or not but the way that she sort of dressed in a way that covered her body that she didn't really want to be seen that all the sweatshirts um, yeah and and i thought that was really interesting and i and it felt very true to me um that that makes sense to me that that would be how somebody sort of reacted to it and obviously everyone is going to react differently and there's no one experience but i thought it was handled really well and really with a lot of um, clearly like care and thoughtfulness um, and really, you know, like we said, like I think Rhiannon and Samson are like really well drawn characters and I feel like they are actual human beings who I, who I know and I understood and um, whenever they reacted to something, it also was like, yeah, that's how Rhiannon would act or yeah, that's how Samson would act. Well, because there is a they're hooking up at one point and he says her full name he uses her full name and it triggers her to get upset because that's what peter her ex had used he had used her full name mm-hmm. and on his part it's it's funny because i'm for sure that peter did it as like a paternal thing where you know right. you say to a child their full name so that or like Rhiannon. yeah yeah so yeah not hit her like like middle and last name but in the Rhiannon sense of Claire. Yeah, it's saying, okay, I could see him doing it, saying mm-hmm. that as if he was somehow paternal and like control of her. And right. so when when Samson does it and she gets upset, he doesn't say, what what's your problem? He's like, I, you know, why does this upset you? Like, if it upsets you, then I won't do it. Like, he's really understanding of it. He says, mm-hmm. you might... She's trying to say, well, it's no, it's nothing, it's whatever, it's stupid. It's like, no, it's not because it bothers you. Mm-hmm. And that's like, if you have a partner that can do that, I think that's really great because a lot of people will think that their reactions are stupid or their reactions are overblown. But if it's, if it is making you react a certain way, it is important and so it should be looked at as an important situation as opposed to, oh, get over it, which I think yeah. a lot of people have done in the past. And I feel like when I read books like this, I struggle with my age and my – I don't want to say upbringing because I had great parents, but just the culture I was raised in where it seems like a lot of narratives are centered around trauma now. Trauma is a big thing that people are talking about. People are exploring, and it becomes the driving force for a lot of narratives. And for me, coming from where I come from and the age I come from, you didn't talk about that stuff. Like, you didn't admit to trauma because that was weakness. 
And that I know for I know that's not true. Like I understand the reality that that is not true. And Mm -hmm. to have that thought process is is not good because it then makes trauma like stigmatized. And Mm -hmm. even knowing all that, it's still hard for me to read stories that are so centered on trauma. Because there is that in the back of your head when you're when you grow up in a culture where it's put some dirt on it. It's not that big of a deal. Everybody's got their shit. Right. And and that, I think, for me, is also why it's it's I don't enjoy these books as much is because it takes some getting over on my part to understand that these all this stuff is is valid and it should be written about and be talked about because I still have a hard time talking about my stuff, mm-hmm. you know, because it is, it, it, as much as I know it's not a weakness, it feels like a weakness to me. Yeah. And I think that's the importance of, of it being brought up. And I think, you know, especially, um, you know, these books being written by women and the topics that are being brought up. I, I mean, I guess particularly Longshot and in this book being, you know, traditionally women's issues, although not exclusively, I think it's really powerful because, you know, like I said earlier, if romance is a reflection of society, this is what's happening in society. And I think for a long time, women who were sexually harassed or abused were just not supposed to talk about it. And it was their shame. Um, and it was something that you didn't bring up in polite company and all of these things where obviously that's all bullshit. And talking about it and being public with it, obviously if you're comfortable and if you are not comfortable being public with it, that's totally valid as well, um, is what's going to to change things. And that is a conversation now is you're not going to shame me. This is not my fault. This is not something that I did. Uh, it was something that was done to me. And now I have to deal with the fallout of that, but I'm not going to do it alone. Um, yeah. Which I think is super powerful. And especially within romance, it, because, you know, as much as romance is wish fulfillment, Women who have gone through these issues are finding supportive and loving partners who will help them through it. And it's not a magic. Uh, it's it's not them being in a relationship solves their issues by any means. And that's not certainly what this book has shown, but that there are people who will be caring and loving and respectful and help you with um, processing your uh, your trauma. And they will be open to that and they won't make you feel ashamed. Um, yeah, it's a different kind of wish fulfillment. Yeah, because those people the, exist, and and those are people that you should be seeking out if that is an issue that you have, and you know. Yeah, and and again, like me saying that previously is by no means am I saying you were sexually harassed, get over it. That is by no, no means what I'm saying. Like what I'm yeah. saying is just trauma in general, right? Like just the idea that these traumatic experiences become such a center in people's lives in order for them to come to grips with them and, and bring them to light for me, you know, in his, you know, his struggles with his family and CTE and stuff like that. I mean, this episode has been all over the place, but it, it, this book did bring up a lot of topics. I would say for this book, 
if you are at all interested to read it, I think she is a phenomenal writer and it is very interesting. There are sexy bits for sure. Um, and it's two great characters sort of working through their issues. Um, I think if you want like a higher steam factor, her earlier books are certainly that, but she's evolving as an author, which I think is great to, to watch as well. And, um, I would recommend this book overall. I do think it's a well done book. I think, you know, for what it is, it's really good. And I think it's the thing of like, we would have wanted a different book, (laughs) basically, which is not fair. You know, we would have wanted a book that was more heavy in romance and a little bit more, um, you know, sort of the the topics and and the style that we most respond to. And it just isn't, which is fine like not every book is going to be but I would say overall it is a really great book if you've had any interest in reading it do it's it's 100% worth the the price or you know putting yourself on the wait list in the library for sure yeah it's we got and I and I hate this when people review things based on their expectations Mm -hmm. more than what something is and I you know it's just it's hard it's hard when you expect a romance and this is a romance podcast and this is a romance book like by no means like this is yeah. i'm not saying this isn't a romance it's just not the kind of romance that i love but again i'm expanding my mind that like these these books make me think more than i would when i read other books so it's always a net positive to, oh, 100%. Yeah. This is not a fight or flight situation. <laughs> no, is, by no means. This is a very good book. Yeah. By no means. Um, uh, and I'll, I, yeah, and I, listen, I'm a fan for life of Alicia, and I will read whatever she wants to write, and I'll I'll be there. And I'd like um, to read one of her steamier, more romance-centric books. We definitely, we should. I've been wanting to for a while. Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe in a few months we'll put on her one of her Forbidden Hearts books, because they are like, whew. They're good, and they're very steamy. That's great. Um, Let's do that. Okay, cool. All right, so let's do Goodreads lists. Well, would you fuck them? Oh, yes. Obviously, both. You'd fuck both of them. But you wouldn't Mm -hmm. fuck Peter. No, I would throw Peter off a roof. (laughs) (laughs) As someone who has worked in tech for a long time, I knew I got Peter's number pretty quickly, and I hated him. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, let's do Goodreads then. Well, would you fuck them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would fuck her. I'd get pounded by him. Nice. I mean, whenever the, she was talking about his body, I was like, oof, all right, that is something. <laughs> They're both rich as well, which I think is is, nice. is erotic. <laughs> well, Rhiannon's like millionaire style. Um, what I liked about Samson too is like they're like he was a football player, he comes from a football playing family, but they weren't like rich in a way that sometimes in these books are like flying private jets around, which is like, yeah, there are football players who can do that, but it's like the majority of football players make like a pretty solid salary, but not insane. You know, no, yeah, yeah. And it definitely seemed like they made like he didn't have to worry about money necessarily, but he wasn't like dripping in diamonds. Like it seemed like you know, he was like a middle-class football player. Yeah, absolutely. That was refreshing. Yeah. All right. Goodreads list. So this was on a ton of lists of like most anticipated 2019, um, all of those sort of things. Obviously, I didn't add any of those to this because they're like, it's kind of boring. Um, so the first list, Radical Romance. 
So radical romance tends to be what we're talking about, so, uh, where it doesn't have the romance is there, but it's not necessarily the main focus. That's what I've mm-hmm. seen. It's right. It seems to be that's what's on this radical romance list. Yeah, agreed. So yeah. So I w- I would say yeah. Books by Asian authors with Asian people on the cover. Yeah. Uh, change makers in romance novels. Is there a movement more towards these kind of books? Is that why this is? Because that seems to be when we do these kind of books, these lists are all about radical romance, changing romance, stuff like that. Is that this where romance is moving to? Or obviously there's so many different kinds of romance, but is this where contemporaries are moving towards? I mean, I I think definitely. I think, you know, uh, like I have said it a million times, but it's like as much as romance is reflecting – reflects the culture back to us it's like women are speaking up more and women are coming into their power and women are have always been change makers but i think specifically now are really taking up that mantle and so there i think are going to be more heroines who are reflecting this as well and i think you know for rhiannon it is her um you know, creating the crush app that is more female centric and more safe for women to use. Um, But it is also sort of speaking out about what happened to her uh, in a very public way, which I think is obviously very difficult uh, to do, but ultimately I do think does a lot of good. So uh, yeah, I think they're going to be more in, in contemporary. And I, and I think that's also sort of the way that historical romances as well are going as far as like, having more active heroines or having heroines who are who are really doing things and trying to change their environment because I think that's sort of like what's happening now and I think honestly at this moment I'm not interested in reading like passive heroines necessarily like I want to read women who are really changing the world and women who are really active and women who are are looking out for more than themselves um that's just what I'm interested in so I don't so yeah I do think this is sort of the way things are going at the moment Okay. <laughs> Best ever contemporary romance books. Uh, I mean, I could see somebody saying it. It's just not romance centric enough for me. Yeah, I wouldn't call this best ever, but um, I, I think her uh, some of her other books are are would be on that list for me. But this one, you know, it fell a little short. But uh, yeah, but if 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 it is for you, then I think that's wonderful. Romance with hero heroine uh, are athletes. Yeah, the Samson is an ex-athlete. Brainy genius romantic heroines. I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, she created an app which takes intelligence, I believe. Yeah, and I think they talk about her in school and she went to Harvard and stuff. Like, I would say she's very smart. Yeah. Um, romance with strong contemporary females. Yeah. Uh, sports romances. I mean, sports adjacent. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's funny with sports romance. It's it's like there, he never plays. Mm-hmm. So it's really just he was that was his job before, right? You know, but if you're looking for a sports romance, like I don't know if this is the one. You know, playing off the field. I mean, come on. Um, uncommon takes in sports romance. 
again, I, I mean, the thing is, I'm a virgin. So I, again, have only read around 100 romances. So, <laughs> but I mean, I guess you're, you're saying you've read a lot more than me and that this is an uncommon, it's, it's becoming more common, but it's an uncommon thing to talk about CTE in a romance and not necessarily harassment, but, but to have a heroine who is so outspoken about it might be uncommon. And those are the lists. Clayton, what are your tropes? Ex-athlete hero. Tech whiz heroine. Hero and heroine slept together before start of book. It's a very pithy one. Sexual harassment. Online dating. And then lovers to enemies to lovers again, although he's never her enemy. Right. And he never views her as an enemy. No. But she looks at him as a jerk. But again, that's because of previous situations. Mm -hmm. So those are my tropes. That's great. Aaron, what are your tropes? So I have uh, a one-night stand that turns into more. A football hero, corporate, corporate espionage, because there's a lot of sort of her trying to get control of his aunt's company. Uh, no strings attached sex. Yeah, that's right, because they do end up hooking up with no, uh, this doesn't have to be serious. Mm -hmm. uh, we did, yeah, the thing is, we didn't get into a lot of the, like, Annabelle and her love of of invitations with glitter and stuff. <laughs> She's kind of kooky. But there, I, I'll be honest with you, like, the corporate espionage side of this book I was not very interested in. I didn't really care whether she was going to buy the company or not. No. I would say, too, this is a very funny book. And I think, you know, sometimes books end up on a lot of, like, most hysterical romance and all those things. But, like, this is a very witty and funny book without trying too hard. You know how sometimes that can be a bit grating. But I thought this was – it was funny. Like, I laughed out loud a few times. I laughed out loud at the dinner scene where there's, like, more invitations with glitter and Rhiannon just, like, deadpans, like, oh, good, glitter. <laughs> like, she yeah. hates it so much. Um, so, yeah, this is also a very funny book. All right, Clayton. So what has you swooning this week? So my swoon is a podcast, but it's it's kind of weird because it is only available on audible.com. And the way I purchased it was... It was a, it was almost a full book. It, it was like six and a half hours long. It's Alan Partridge, who is one of my favorite comic characters ever created, uh, portrayed by Steve Coogan, who people may know for the Trip movies. Mm -hmm. You know, those movies where he go, it's like uh, the trip to Italy and him and Rob Brydon do Michael Caine impersonations over expensive meals. <laughs> but he has a character named Alan Partridge who is a stuffy buffoon who has worked in television, has worked on radio, and now is doing a podcast, which he believes is very below him. But you can find it on Audible, and it's supposed to be episodic, but it's really just chapters the way I purchased it. And it's called Alan Partridge from the Oast House, which an Oast House is a, a a place where they used to, I think, make beer, but he's just turned it into a home. 
<laughs> which he he had to downgrade after he lost his previous well his previous tv job ended so he's just a real funny character there's something about the way he speaks that tickles me to no end i i've watched everything he's done i've listened to every you know uh audiobook and purchased every book that the character has written so i would say check it out if you have any idea who alan partridge is and I got it free with an Audible free trial mm-hmm. membership, which the great thing about Audible is that they do it every year or so. You get like a free trial because they just want you to join. So I always just wait and, and buy the two audiobooks for free and then cancel. So you can do that if you want to do it. They're no longer <laughs> a sponsor. The well, they're yeah. no longer a sponsor. If they were a sponsor, I'd say subscribe. But right now I'm going to say don't. Just use the free one. So check it out. It's called Alan Partridge from the Oast House. That is my swoon. Erin, what has you swooning? So I'm swooning about a show. It's in its third season. It's called Yellowstone. It's pulpy. It's very like King Lear-ish, which is like truly like the best format for TV. Like every show should just be basically a thinly veiled King Lear. Um and uh and i didn't know that it had this uh conservative bend but it is ridiculous it's about a giant ranch um in uh montana and it's about sort of the people who run the ranch and sort of the machinations within that society of sort of who's going to be in power here's the thing about yellowstone is it well written no is it well acted? You know, some are, people are more talented than others as actors. <laughs> but there is something about it that does just like grip you. I watched the entire thing. And now being at my parents' house, we're starting from the beginning and watching it again. Um, it's very silly. It's very pulpy. It's very soap opera-y. It's not wonderful TV, but it really does suck you in. Uh, there is a romance um, I'm swooning over Yellowstone. It's great. It's great. And starring Kevin Costner. It stars Kevin Costner, who is truly fantastic as just like the every American man. It's so funny because it's so hard for me to say that I like this show because it is just ridiculous. And like two seasons are about how Kevin Costner is basically the richest man in Montana. And you can't go up against him. And then it's like the writers realize like, oh, well, there's not a whole lot of story there, you know, if he's just the most rich and powerful person. So they just decide in the third season to make him not rich <laughs> out of nowhere. And all of a sudden his ranch is failing. And it's just very funny. So if you need something mindless, there's a lot of handsome and beautiful people in it. Watch it. It's silly. It's fun. It's a pulpy mess. Um, and I would say Yellowstone. So Aaron, where can they find us? So you can always email us at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com if you have questions, if you want to suggest a book. Um, I am promising this week I'm going to go through all of our emails and respond. I apologize. I've, it's taken me a second, but we read everything that you send us and we really appreciate it. And everyone who takes the time. Our listeners are extremely eloquent and funny and interesting. And all of the emails are really wonderful. So thank you. 
for anyone who has taken the time. And if you also want to email us, you know, thoughts that you have about us or something we've brought up or suggestions or anything, uh, you know, you can always email us at learningtropespodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Learning Tropes and we are at Instagram at Learning the Tropes. Uh, like we mentioned, the only reason to be on Facebook is to join the Learning the Tropes troop. Um, so you can always visit us there. We have merchandise, which is very exciting. I think I already mentioned my brother bought a t-shirt. Now he's living in Puerto Rico. So if you see a, a guy in Puerto Rico with a Learning the Trope shirt, say hi. It's probably my brother. Um, and so the link's below if you want t-shirts, baby onesies, uh, mugs. It's great. Um, and my brother also told me that the shirt is very comfortable. So it's good to know. The next episode, we're going to be reading How to Tame a Beast in Seven Days by Carolyn Sparks. I'm looking forward to reading her. I've never read her before, but I've heard wonderful things. Uh, and then finally, Learning the Tropes is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you love at frolic.media/podcasts. Um, all right, guys. See you later. <laughs>